Hello, my name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now, my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Zach Douglas. Now, Zach is the co-founder of Ariga, the UK's leading independent service office provider with 18 locations across the UK and a brand new one just in Glasgow. Now, I've really noticed a proactive response from Ariga during COVID, and it feels like it's a really heart-led business. So it's right up my street. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from the man behind it, who I have sitting in front of me on Zoom right now. It's Friday lunchtime as we record. So Zach, tell me, how are things going for you this week? Well, we're now at the end of that week. It's been a fairly interesting week. I've spent some time in London, currently in the process of moving house. So it's been hectic, let's put it that way. But I'm looking forward to a weekend of packing ahead of me. (laughs) Wow. Um, um, Business-wise, I've been in contact throughout the week. And yeah, it's been interesting. It's it's challenging. I think we're we're dealing with a lot of mixed messaging coming from the government, which has mm. us running one way and then turning back and running the other way, which I think as a business leader is challenging to try and keep up with and amend and adapt strategy as policy unfolds. And you're so right when you talk about that, because not only is it challenging as a business leader, it's challenging as an individual too, this idea of not really knowing what next week is going to bring and that adaption to uncertainty is something that we're all having to learn how to do. But when you're running a business, it must be even tougher. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that later on in the podcast and seeing how you're responding to the challenge. And I've seen lots of stories about what you're doing. I think it's really exciting. But as I said to you in our little preamble before we came on air, I really also want to get under your skin today. And we start that by doing something that I call the shake your pom-poms moment, which is all about you actually being able to celebrate your own success, because I'm a true believer that we don't do enough of this as individuals. So I'd really love it if you would share with us initially your three proudest moments, please. Well, uh, absolutely. Be delighted to. I think my first two are quite simple and straightforward and probably something that most parents would say. I've got two sons. And I have to say, they are my first two proudest moments for sure. They're now 15 and 18. One of them is about to be 19. And uh, yeah, they are two of my proudest moments. My third is definitely setting up my business. I think when I look back, I've been doing this now 20 years. And I think back to the closing stages of 1999, when we were heading towards the millennium. And I was, what was I, 30, 31. And I was thinking, I had a good corporate job. 
but I felt there was just more to life and, and more I wanted to do. And I wanted to wake up each morning, smell the coffee and feel like I could make decisions for myself and be able to perhaps make a difference somewhere. And so I, uh, I sold my house. I invested the little bit of money I had. And I started Ariga with my business partner and co-founder, Paul Finch. We opened in May 2001. We spent 2000 fundraising and getting the business ready. And then I think you'll probably recall there was a fairly cataclysmic event towards the end of 2001. And that brought about probably the end of the dot-com boom. It brought about the end of the relevance of the business plan that we were operating uh, under at the time. And suddenly, for the first time, we were definitely having to behave in an entrepreneurial fashion that hitherto we had not had to do. We were having to be creative. We were having to manage creditors, suppliers. We found ourselves spending more money than we thought we would spend and getting a lot less income than we thought we would get. And that led us through a fairly challenging process of about three years where we hit some absolutely terrible lows. There were some highs in there as well, thankfully, but it was a, a process and a period that really bonded the pair of us and set us on the path to build the business that we now have today. And I think if I look back from those really difficult three or four startup years that we had, and they were quite formative in a number of, in a number of ways, but if I look back now, and I have a business that employs around 90 people that operates up and down the country, that has won awards, that I think is a fair and decent employer, and I know provides great customer service to the many customers that we have, I genuinely feel proud. I think that's something that I'm unlikely to replicate that in life. So there you go. And talk about resilience building back then and setting you up for the challenges that we're facing into now. There must be lessons from that period that you're able to draw on when you're you know, in this kind of COVID environment that we're in. What were some of the big learnings for you during those tougher times that you're finding are helping now? I think the big learns are that you can take nothing for granted. And I think it's very easy in business to just do what you do do it a little bit better for a little bit more money and do a bit more of it where you can. And I think that's what most business does. And I think you can get into a rut with that as a business. And I think when suddenly you have to be creative because your survival depends on it, you tend to dig deeper and find out some different ways forward than those which you would have come up with around a boardroom table trying to think about what the next year should look like. So I think if, if it's anything, it's moving quickly. I think you have to keep making decisions. You have to keep thinking forward. And you have to accept that the rules have changed suddenly. So you're in a very, very different game. And I think if you can adapt to that quickly enough, then you have a good chance at survival. I think where a lot of businesses go wrong is they just simply are either unable to adapt or the, maybe the, the creative people behind it are not engaged enough. But I, I think that's it. I think it's about adapting. And, being and doing that quickly. I think it's fair to say that when this, whole, when this whole coronavirus pandemic started, we as a board made more decisions in three weeks than I think I made in the previous three years. It was probably one of the craziest three weeks, four weeks of my <laughs> life. And we were all locked down. We were all on Zoom. And literally the day started at 7.30 in the morning and was, was still going late into the night watching the various press releases as they happened and the prime minister and his advisors coming out with what we were all going to be doing the following day, week and month. And yeah, it was, it was a hectic period. Not one I want to repeat, and you've, for sure. 
No, <laughs> no. But I mean, you've done so many wonderful things during that period. And I've been seeing the highlights of that on LinkedIn in terms of how you're making your environment safe and secure so that people can come and use them without feeling that there's risk. And you know, you're doing all sorts of wonderful things in terms of how you're going about that. Do you want to kind of share with us what that journey has been like in terms of making your business right for this coronavirus environment? Sure. I mean, the first thing to say is it's, it's very challenging for any business when suddenly you, you are posed with having to change the environments that your customers and your staff work in. I think particularly at a time where your natural reaction is to cut cost and hunker down as a business, you suddenly yeah. find yourself having to make difficult investment decisions because if you don't make those, your workplace isn't deemed to be COVID safe. Therefore, your customers and your staff won't work in them. And I think for us, certainly, we found ourselves having to, having to think quite carefully. The obvious one was the social distancing. So we all went through you know, putting big round markers on floors, signage, you know, antiviral hand gel at every corner, outside every toilet by every tea point, having to change from fresh milk, which we'd have previously provided in the tea points, to sachet milk so that it was a one-touch event as opposed oh. to multiple people. And those are things which, you know, we went away from that originally because it felt a bit less personal, but we found ourselves back there, tea bags in sealed packets, that kind of stuff. Perhaps a bit more wasteful, if I'm honest. And I think maybe that's one of the things that concerns me about how we go forward, because I think we are creating a lot of waste here as humans in this whole COVID pandemic. So we went through that. And then I think one of the biggest things we did was we invested in having this antimicrobial, antiviral coating sprayed into the common areas and the areas where our staff work in the buildings. And also making sure that our customers could, if they wished, have that done in their own offices. And we kept with that. So we did that right at the start when people could go back to work and we've kept doing it since. But yeah, it's not a new normal. It's business abnormal in my personal opinion. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to put it, business abnormal. Yeah, I really like that. And that responsiveness and your ability to, and I'm going to use this word, pivot, as you know, really come through in all of the stories that you are delivering. And it, I guess it goes against the grain to a certain extent because most businesses are saying, stay at home, stay at home. And I'm worried about the mental health impact of that, that loss of connectivity mm. with other people, and indeed the impact that that will have on businesses' effectiveness and efficiency moving forward. And you're creating spaces that allow you to keep that and be safe and mitigate the risk wherever possible, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. I read a lot of rhetoric about the end of the office, the change of, of how we all work. But I think we can't get away from the fact that we are inherently social animals. And I think in order to be creative in a workspace, particularly if we are a business as opposed to a sole trader, you know, we require to interact with each other. It's the old cliche, you know, one plus one equals three as opposed to two. That generally only happens when you're back in the office. And I think you can survive, you can achieve a holding pattern remotely, but I don't think you can genuinely creatively move forward. Yeah, and I think I certainly agree. we found since we moved our head office back in to London where we're based, that I suddenly found in that first day back in the office, I firstly, I enjoyed the interaction because 
I have to say I'd had enough of working from home. But also, I think we gained more. I understood more in that in the morning from just walking past people, chatting to people over a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee than I had probably in the previous few weeks Zoom calls. You know, I learned more about what the fundamentals of how people were feeling, what was happening out there in my business. It, It became much more apparent much more quickly. Yeah, it's that three-dimensional aspect of connectivity that you just don't see it on Zoom. I completely agree. Now, you've mentioned the word decision several times already this morning, and I'm interested in the decision-making behind leaving a large job in corporate and setting up your business, because that is something that you know puts the fear of God into so many of us who were in that corporate arena and wanting to get out. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you actually made that transition? Yeah, I think I just realized I was quite late into corporate life. And I think I realized when I arrived that I felt like I was moving a lot quicker than a lot of other people. It felt a bit like I arrived in an office and it felt a bit like the world was moving in slow motion to me a little bit. It felt like there was quite a lot of politics at play, which I hadn't been previously used to. And it felt like doing the right thing wasn't always recognized as being correct. And it felt a bit counterintuitive to me in a, in a lot of ways. So whilst I, I was very happy with the income and it was great, I had a very nice car, I had the trappings, it just, it, it wasn't satisfying. You know, I would come home at night feeling unfulfilled. And I think in the end, it was that that drove me to make the decision. Yes, it was a brave decision because you're walking away from certainty to uncertainty. But I think at the end of the day, passion is what drives it. I think it's, it's your feeling that there is something out there else for you. And it genuinely is not for everyone. And I listen to a lot of people saying that everyone should do it, but everyone shouldn't do it because there are some deeply traumatic moments. There are some very difficult times. There are some crazy highs and some really mm. quite brutal lows. And I think that's something which changes you as a person. I, I think it's fair to say that my journey and experience has made me different than I would have been had I not gone through it. I think perhaps mm. I'm a bit more tolerant as a result of it, maybe. Oh, that's I good think so anyway. <laughs> what were you doing before corporate then, if you were quite old in your career when you went into it? Well, I didn't do terribly well at school. I wasn't what one would call a natural academic. So school and me didn't really fit. I've got a slight degree of dyslexia. And at the time when I was at school in the, you know, in the 70s and wasn't early, early 80s, you know, you were just the annoying, silly guy that sat at the back uh-huh. of the class or quite often was stood in the corridor outside the class. So I didn't really fit. I came out with five GCSEs or O-levels as they were in those days. Didn't get any A-levels. And I'd already started getting into bands. So I was in rock bands. I played in those for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Whilst being a boat builder. So my day job was a boat builder and my night job and weekend job was playing in bands. How so, cool is that? It was a lot of fun, actually. It was, it, was, yes. it was great. But I finally realized at about the age of 25 that I wasn't going to be the next big thing. That probably would pass <laughs> me by. And whilst it had been great, and we, we were successful of our time, but it was time for me to focus on something else. So Get the proper job, as they call it. Well, what I first did, actually, was I, I went back to night school. So on the nights when I wasn't playing, uh, I, I went to college. So I did two nights a week at college. I think it was a Tuesday and a Thursday. And typically those are the days I wouldn't have been playing concerts and you know, gigs in the evening. And I studied business and finance, just an HNC. But somehow having reconnected with learning just under 10 years later, 
I had a different attitude towards it. I hadn't used a computer, so I had to get special dispensation to handwrite my essays and things. <laughs> and there was a bit of an issue with some of the spelling, but we got there and I passed it. That's so inspiring. Uh, so yeah. in your 20s, you go back to school from an environment that didn't make you feel secure and valued right? to putting yourself back in that position in order to better yourself. That's hugely inspiring. Well, I realized it had to be done because uh, there was a bit of a gulf. I was coming late into life or late into what one would regard as a, as a normal career path. So I felt that I lacked some of the important parts and felt it was something I needed to do. I needed to understand. I'd never used a computer before. People yeah. had mobile phones. I didn't know how to use one. So, yeah. That's incredible. And it's making me think of lots of different questions. And I guess one of them is about how do you, as a parent, you know, obviously your children are coming up to the age one's left and, and one's, I'm, I'm assuming, in GCSE year. Yeah. How do you talk to them about schooling and the importance of it or not? I've always been quite relaxed about that, actually, because having been quite pushed by my parents, it's the old, you know, square peg, round hole thing. And I think yeah. if you push a kid too hard, you, something's going to happen. They're going to sort of ricochet in one direction or another. You're unlikely to get a predictable outcome. So I've always said to my kids, do the best you can. And you know, if you get great qualifications and you can find a way to go to university, then I'd love that for you. But equally, if you want to go and be a, you know, a bin man, go and be one, but be a happy one, you know, and be satisfied that you've made the right choices for you. So I've always tried to be like that. I've never pushed them. I've left it for them to make their own mistakes. And I've left it probably irresponsibly for the teachers to tell them off when they haven't done the homework they should have done. <laughs> I love it. That is so wonderful to hear because they've got a great role model, you know, thinking about where you've been and, and where you are now. Idea of happiness being front and center yeah. is lovely to hear and talking in that way because it doesn't actually happen very often. Yeah. So it's wonderful. Well, I think and, when you've had a slightly checkered career, it, it's, uh, it's easier to, be a bit, <laughs> to provide one's children with a bit more latitude, but they certainly do not see me as a role model. I think <laughs> they, see, they see me as dad with all the annoying traits that I have. And what I've got to say, they really do not want to hear. Well, no, they're at that age, aren't they? But I'm sure, sure secretly they think you're a role model. Talk to me about being a rocker then. Do you still do rocking now? Is like music a big um, part of your life? It is. I listen to a lot of music, rock music, well, all sorts of music, actually. I still play. I don't play in a band anymore. I'd like to. And it's something that we always talk about when we get together for a few beers. We talk about getting a bunch of us together, but it's something that we always, you know, life gets very busy at this stage yeah. and it's hard to do. But yeah, I've got a wonderful guitar collection that I could never afford when I was trying to be a musician. I've got amplifiers and things all over the house and uh, I regularly annoy the family with, <laughs> yeah, with, with, I guess with it's my a great album. way to relax. It's, it's a brilliant way to relax, actually. Mm. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's the only thing I do, I think, where my mind comes completely away from all the other bits that I'm thinking about. So, yeah, it's a great escape. It truly is. Yeah, that mindfulness element being more present. So that leads us into how do you take good care of yourself? Because one of the, you know, the things that I think lots of us are focused on now is our emotional well-being, our mental well-being, and our physical well-being. So what are some of the things that you do to take good care of yourself? Well, I've always been quite health and fitness focused. So I think right from being a kid, I, I was in the cross-country team. So I used to run a bit. 
that's always cycled because the only way to get from A to B was cycling. So I'm a keen cyclist. I've probably got not quite as many bikes as I've got guitars, but I've got a, a garage full of bicycles. I've got cupboards full of lycra. And, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a, again, it's a great escape. It's a great way to just jump on your bike, regardless of the weather conditions, and just disappear mm-hmm. off into the countryside. And it, it's a good place to go away and, and think and be on your own. Yeah, and actually have to listen to your own thoughts whilst yeah. chugging your way up a hill. It's great. And we also sponsor a charity called One More Child, which is in Uganda. And Ariga is the main sponsor for that. And every year we're riding around the world in sections. So we started with London to Paris and then Paris to Geneva and Geneva to Milan. And we're now in Turkey. We had to cancel this year's ride, unfortunately. But we ride about four to 450 miles over four days, typically, about 100 people. And we raise enough money pretty much during that ride to fund the 240 children that we have in care in Uganda. So this is about creating a life for these 240 children and providing them with everything that they need. They didn't start as 240 children. They started as about 20 and we've ended up now with 240 children. Oh, wow. um, But yeah, these are street kids, kids that would have had very little alternative option in life other than to become petty criminals and some wouldn't have survived into adulthood. So that's a pretty important part of my life and mm. the passion I have that we support those kids. And it goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning, when you were making that decision to leave corporate, you wanted to be able to make a difference. And, yeah. and actually, this is another way that you can make a difference from running your business. That's really, really yeah. lovely. It is. And it's something which the business gets involved in because everybody knows we do it. It's just something we do. You know, it's not something we, we, we massively shout about but it does make me feel better that I do it. That's for sure. Mm. So yeah, that's, that helps feed the soul. Oh, feed the soul. I like that as a term. And you were just talking about being on your bike and having lots of thoughts. And I'm always interested to hear, particularly from very successful people, whether self-doubt is ever a feature. I have a hunch that it's a feature in all of us. And so I'm really keen to explore with you how you tackle self-doubt and kind of reframe any negative thoughts that might pop in. I think you're right. I think we all have self-doubt. I think if you don't, you must be a, either a very centered individual or... Or a robot. Or a robot or a worrying individual. <laughs> I don't know. But I think that's natural. And I think that self-doubt prevents us from making some silly decisions at times. Or it certainly makes us think through things properly before we jump. And I think... For me, certainly, I spend a lot of time doubting what I'm doing and thinking through whether I've done the right thing, you know, what the outcome's going to be. But I think that's part of making a calculated decision or a calculated choice in life, whether that be on a personal level or a professional level. You know, we all think things through. You go and see a house. Do you want to buy that house? What is it about that house? You come back and think about it. Probably in your gut, you know that that's the house you want to buy or not the house you want to buy. Or that's the car you want to buy, not the car you want to buy. And I appreciate I'm using material items, but that's probably something everyone can relate to. But I think in business, Uh you probably know whether you should or shouldn't be doing it. And then you use the statistics and the financial information to either dissuade you or persuade you. I like the fact that you're honest about the fact that doubt exists. Because it's really easy to pretend that it doesn't, particularly in a podcast environment like this. You know, you're a successful guy. You run a brilliant business. And of course, I've got all the self-belief in the world, but the fact that you can be vulnerable enough to say that it is there, 
And, you know, as I say, I think it's there for all of us. It's really refreshing. That's the next question really is about vulnerability. It's one of the favorite things I like to explore with people. And I'm always keen, particularly from a male point of view, to understand what vulnerability means to you and how you see it show up. I think part of being vulnerable is probably being genuine and honest. Because I think when you say what you really feel, the responses you get back are probably going to, if they're negative, are going to hurt you more because you've been open and honest about what it is you're doing. So I think maybe if you wear a thick shell around yourself, you know, during the business day or, you know, even in your personal life, I guess, you hide your vulnerability. But I also think you hide some of your personality. And I think you hide some of the traits that make you perhaps a a more rewarding individual to spend time with or an interesting person to talk to. So I think for me, when does it show up? I think it's always present, isn't it? I think it's back to the self-doubt thing, you know, back to whether or not you've done the right thing, back to how you'll be judged for the decisions you made. You know, no one wants to sit on the wrong side of history, do they? So I I think vulnerability is inherent in most of us. I've not met too many people that I would class as not vulnerable but I think we all disguise it in different ways, mm. you know. And the armour, having the armour on, it can stop it from coming through. And you mentioned traits there, and you've mentioned that word a couple of times, in that your sons like to point out the traits that are perhaps not so great about you. And you mentioned it around the vulnerability piece. So what traits do you look for in other people? Hmm. I think I look for somebody that I believe is being honest. It doesn't matter what the situation is, whether we're talking about a supplier or a a member of staff or someone that I will have a future friendship with. I think you can generally tell if people are being open. And I think I would rather have a, a conversation with someone that's open, honest and engaged than I would have a conversation with someone that's very tight lipped, holding their cards close to their chest. I think you tend to cover more ground more quickly. I, I think maybe the outcome down the line might be much the same. But I think you can get to feel comfortable with that person or decide that you're not comfortable with that person much quicker. And I think you can just move through that set of decisions in a quicker, more open way, perhaps. That's how I see it anyway. And the fact that you can observe that in people shows that you are that heart-led leader that I talked about at the beginning. And obviously, you're moving house this weekend. I can't actually believe that you're doing this today, given that you're moving house. So I'm very grateful. And in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, you know, talk about taking on challenges. So once you've moved house, I'd love to know what are the next challenges that you're going to be getting involved in, government decisions aside. What's next for you? I think, to be honest, the, the big challenge for me is in bringing the business through where it finds itself currently. Firstly, the most important thing is making sure that we survive intact, we survive with the ability to grow and prosper, which I I know we will because the business fundamentals are right. We designed and built the business and the business model to be somewhat risk averse, but also to make sure that the risk and liabilities were sensibly positioned between what it is we do and what it is the landlords and property owners that we work with. So I'm comfortable that we get through. I think the next piece is making sure that we then benefit from the market we find ourselves in on the other side and making sure that we succeed and achieve the growth that we both deserve and want. And that's 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 the next challenge. Yeah. And you really do deserve it because you're doing the right things. And that is coming across in everything that you do, but also in everything that your team is doing. 
you know, and you can just see it in all of the stories. So you definitely deserve to have that next level of success. I remember someone saying to me a long time ago, it's not succeeding to fail that you should be concerned about, but it's failing to succeed. And I think the next piece for us is making sure that we don't fail to succeed. Oh, I love that. That's quite shiny, actually. I like that a lot. (laughs) There you go. You can have that one. Thank you. (laughs) I borrowed it, so... Steal with pride, I think they call that, don't they? There you go. Now, we're going to play a game now. This is my daughter's favourite game. It's called the five-second game rule. And this is where you get put under pressure because you need to give me three answers within five seconds. Right. So no time to think. Speedy decisions. You're good at this. You've already told us. So are you ready? Absolutely. Absolutely born ready. So in the five-second game rule... Can you tell me what are your three favorite guitars? Yeah, 2008 Les Paul Standard, Charvel Model 6, and my Ovation Custom Legend. I'm going to have to ask my dad what they are because he'll know. (laughs) They sound very posh. And let's have another one because you're good. So let's have in the five second game rule, can you give me three words that describe you? Resilient, honest, ambitious. Ooh, yeah, with the ambition at the end. Resilient, definitely. You've not really had a choice in terms of being resilient from the stories that you've told us. I think anyone that runs a business, the one thing they require is more than a great business plan, a great idea is bucket loads of resilience. I don't think we all know we have it until we have to find it. But if you haven't got it, it probably isn't for you. That's what I would say. Good advice. And I like to call it bouncing forwards because we do get kind of blipped along the way, don't we? And that ability to stand up, but then bounce forward rather than backwards. I think that kind of demonstrates resilience and you have it in bucket loads. And so I can't wait to see what you're going to say for the last question because we are at that time now in the podcast where I ask you the killer question that everybody gives a different answer to, which just shows how individual this thing is. You're shifting in your chair. You're like getting ready now for the killer question. (laughs) Yeah, I feel I should brace myself. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is about success and it's about what do you believe is the absolute secret to it? The secret to achieving it or the outcome? To having success. Yeah. I think success can take a number of forms. And I think it's important that you don't assume that success is the acquisition of material trappings. I think when you're younger, and I would absolutely put myself in the category that my early definition of success was how much stuff I had. And that was what drove me. I think now I understand success to be something different, something perhaps deeper, something more spiritual, and something which you have to come to peace with yourself. I think you decide when you've achieved success, the world doesn't judge you successful, if that makes any sense at all. And I think as I've got older, that is probably the most fundamental change. The success has moved from acquisition of material items to how I feel about myself and whether I feel like I have been successful, not only in what I've done in my life, but what I've done that day or that week or that month. And I think that's probably how I judge success now. Oh, I love that. And what that is about is it comes down to what you think and feel rather than some sort of validation scale that is external to you. Yeah, Um, I think when you're younger, you look for external validation all the time because 
you know, that's how you grow up. We grow mm. up, you know, seeking approval. And I think once you, oh, yeah. once you got to a certain age, you, you know, you're, you're maybe, you're, maybe not everyone gets past seeking approval, but I think, you know, when you've built a business, you run a business and you've been through the fire a few times, I think you realize that actually you don't need anyone else's approval other than your own. I'm still on that journey, let me tell you, but I will get there. Well, me too. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to achieve my own approval and my own standard of success, <laughs> but at least I think I know what it is now. Yeah, and, and you actually know that that's where success comes from rather than yes. something external, which is wonderful. Oh, do you know what? It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you because you have really let me get under your skin a little bit and see inside the CEO, which is always my favorite thing to do and actually helps other people so much more than if we were just to talk about your wonderful business. Because, you know, when people can really step inside your shoes and see that you are just the same as them, it really helps people to know that they can achieve the things that you have. So thank you for being so honest and open. Well, thank you very much indeed. And thank you for spending your time talking to me. It's been a real pleasure and I've very much enjoyed it. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.